podcast, a project dedicated to sharing the stories of the people who build and those who help move construction forward. My name is Brett Gillen. I'm the founder of Hammer and Builders Vinsta. Matt is stuck at the job site and he'll be back on the podcast here shortly. Uh, today we got Tom Reber from the contractor fight. He's a former contractor turned business coach and we're going to be talking about the craftsman cycle and learning about sales, the good, bad, and the ugly. In this episode, we do discuss the term, the craftsman cycle, and its effects on construction businesses and their owners. The craftsman cycle was created by Sean Van Dyke, a construction business coach. He's the CEO of Built to Build Academy and the author of the Profit First for Contractors. So any references you hear in this episode, the craftsman cycle should be attributed to Sean Van Dyke and should not be associated with the Bread to Build podcast or the podcast guest. Uh, You can learn more uh, by going into our show notes. Uh, and we will have the link below. With that being said, Tom, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Breck. How are you doing today, man? Doing well. You, uh, you've you been a requested guest for some time, so uh, I'm pumped to have you here. Thanks. I'm glad to be here, man. You guys are doing some cool stuff, and I know we were talking before you hit record about the exciting world of podcasting, man, and it's uh, it's good stuff. It, 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 it I think it's uh, like a lot of things. You learn a lot about yourself and consistency and you know, what it takes to be successful. So I, I can't wait to see you explode your show, man. This is cool. I appreciate that. Yeah. You, you definitely inspire us. I mean, uh, for everyone listening to this, uh, the contractor fight and what you guys are doing, you're putting out some amazing content. If, you know, if you guys haven't already uh, heard or checked them out, I, I highly recommend doing that. But uh, Tom, we're taking some pages out of your book. We're, we're staying consistent. We're trying to pump <laughs> out some podcasts and deliver some value to people. Awesome, man. Well, let's let's do it, man. What do you got? All righty. Uh, so just to lay of the land, there's probably a lot of people that know who you are, but for the audience that's listening to that doesn't know you already, uh, give us a quick just lay of the land background from starting your business to how you got to where you are today. Awesome. And I'll do that. And let me, it was funny. I was literally about to open my mouth and warn you that you might hear dogs and he, and one of the dogs just barked right when I was about to say that and you probably hear it. So I apologize, but it's, <laughs> no uh, it's the, just the way we have four of them and they do their own thing. So, um, so yeah, I grew up in Wheaton, Illinois. Uh, I did everything I could to not be in the trades because every contractor I knew was broke, tired and dirty. Uh, meaning my dad and grandfathers and uncles and cousins and relatives and all my friends had white collar dads that were doctors and engineers and mm-hmm. we were literally on the poor side of the tracks and I never I never saw contractors uh, in the light of being successful in those ways right and um, long story short in and out of the Marine Corps and some other things I end up working for my uncle which I did growing up who was a painting contractor and then I worked for him left him, started my own painting business. Um, did ever, like I said, I did everything I could to not be in the trades, ended up, uh, building a painting company outside of Chicago. We did three to 400 projects a year. I sold my half of that in 2012. And, uh, cause I, um, I wanted to impact more people. I just felt there was something calling me that, uh, would uh, impact is a huge word for me. I think I'm a coach at heart. I coached mm-hmm. high school football, while I ran my companies for 17 seasons. Um, and uh, 
So we uh, started the contractor fight thing and we've helped tens of thousands of contractors around the world quit stealing from their families, you know, time, money, memories, those things. We do it through our podcast and YouTube channel and social stuff. And uh, I'm proud to say, and I, I always tell people this, like one of the things we're most proud of in the fight is we, we produce more free content to help contractors than anybody on the planet. And uh, for those that want to move faster, you jump into one of our paid programs or events. That's that we just try to keep it real simple. But um, yeah, I'm super proud of the team. We're uh, about to start our seventh. I was telling you before we have right now we have six days a week. We have a podcast on the contractor fight and we're adding a seventh day here pretty soon with one of our newest coach guy named Sonny Panero of Panero Construction. He's a $20 million a year commercial GC who's joined our coaching team earlier this year. And so he's going to have his own show. And then we got a women in construction podcast. That's going to be starting to, there we go. So we're uh, now I'm just looking for a Spanish speaking coach so we can hit the Spanish world, man. So there you go. You have the whole world covered at that point. I love that, man. That's having, the plan. Uh, having a host for women in construction, women need to uh, be a lot better represented in our industry. Well, they're kicking butt, man. And I've, I've coached tons of couples through the years and I have to tell you, just the the uh, the women far outshine the guys percentage wise in those partnership businesses <laughs> where the wife is involved. The wife is it's usually the guy that's in the way, complicating things. And uh, oh, you can't do that. Well, this is the way we do it in the trades. And you know, the woman's like, you don't get the world how the world works, honey. And <laughs> they're, they're generally obviously there's some really great guys out there in couples, but I sure. I. You know, it's probably for every kick-ass guy in a partnership with his wife, there's three spouses, three women that are three to one ratio, whatever mm -hmm. I'm trying to say. So Art. Can, uh, yeah. uh, I'm glad this episode will uh, support and empower all those badass ladies. So this will give them another reason to listen to this episode. That's awesome. I love that. Well, listen, you just think what they have to go through to be successful in a male dominated industry. Oh, absolutely. It's nuts, man. And a lot of the guys are whining and complaining how hard it is. Mm -hmm. Try, try going in and in, like, it'd be like me jumping in, try to sell makeup or something, you know, like <laughs> yeah. it's just, you know, the, the battle I would have to fight to have street cred and get people to, you know, pay attention to me would be pretty tough. So. Absolutely. We were just having a conversation uh, with one of our hammer members. We do this thing called a uh, town hall every Thursday. <laughs> And, uh, you know, she's a GC, she's starting up her own business and everything. And she, she has one hell of a time just getting subs and people on the crew to listen to her. And, mm -hmm. you know, those are not necessarily the people that you want to working with anyways, if they're going to have a problem with the male or female being on the job site, I mean, that's probably not someone that you want to work with regardless, but you're absolutely right, Tom, it, it is an issue and, uh, really a hat tip to the, to the ladies pushing through that and breaking down those barriers. I want to say one more thing on that. I know none of this was planned with the women thing, but women also have it rough because when a woman is assertive in the workplace, she's called a bitch. When mm -hmm. a man is assertive in the workplace, he's called an alpha dog and a baller and all this other stuff. Yeah. And so for those men that are listening to this, when a woman is being assertive, you know, appreciate that, you know, don't be such a weak minded, insecure dude where you think she's being a bitch. And for those women that are listening to this, you keep being you, okay? And uh, I promise you, you're focused, you're more disciplined by nature, I think, than most guys are, generally are more organized in a lot of ways, all the things a woman has to juggle. So I encourage you to keep 
stepping on the gas, you're going to run circles around those dudes in no time. So I couldn't have said it better, Tom. <laughs> so we'll leave it at that period. Um, let's, let's talk about the craftsman cycle. The, the whole mm. concept of the craftsman cycle just keeps, you know, coming through my head. I, I did a lot of research on what you guys are doing with your, your uh, courses and everything and the coaching, mm. but this whole idea of the craftsman cycle, you line up work, you do the work, you get paid and you repeat the cycle. And mm. that's how you become like very good at working in the business, not as much working on the business. And so my question to you is when is it the right time to break that cycle? Um, well, I, there's no better time than now, you know, like planting a, what do they say? The best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. And the second best time is today. (laughs) So, um, I think the sooner you can get out of that cycle, unless you want that cycle, like, honestly, there's a lot of people that enjoy, you know, the day-to-day grind and they, they want to keep a small and real profitable business and just, they enjoy working with their hands. So I'm not criticizing anybody that wants to do that. Um, but I think, you know, when I think the biggest mistake people make is they focus too much on producing the work, especially Mm -hmm. if they're somebody who's come from the trade, you're a painter, you're going to focus more on producing the work. And unfortunately, I think, you know, most of those people struggle, like the sooner that you get your head around that your number one role in the business is no longer the tools and the actual work, it's building the brand, it's leading the team, it's building a team. The sooner you can embrace that, the better off you're going to be, regardless of how big you want your company to be. And, and for me, like, for example, why I have my painting business, I want to say I started it in maybe the month of April. This is early, you know, was this 2001 or something like that? 2002, started my first business then. By August, I hired Gina, my bookkeeper. Um, because I was just a couple months into it. I'm like, there's no way I'm going to do this. And, um, um, my ex-wife, you know, at the time she was like, I don't want to do your books and you better hire somebody or this is never going to work because there's no way you can do it. So I just think I'm, I'm a, it's a one, I'm not good at a lot of things, but I'm really good at a few things. If that makes sense. I'm not good at most things is what I'm trying to say. One thing I'm really good at is getting out of the way when there's somebody who's better than me at something. So I, no matter what business I'm doing, I always look, you know, if you look at the cycle, pricing work, getting the work, doing the work, and, you know, then finding the work again, I think who, like, who do I know that can head up producing the work? Who do I know that can really be the champion here of, um, you know, the marketing and building the brand and the company or whatever it might be. So I think you have to be the champion of these things in the sense where you're there to support them and guide them, but not put yourself in a position to be the doer because that's how you burn out. That's how you end up earlier. I talked about one of the things we talk about in the fight all the time is stop stealing from your family. You know, you steal time and money and memories and you steal your health and all these things. You don't do the hobbies you love to anymore because you're wearing every stinking hat. And so, um, so we get people out of that a few different ways. The first is we change their thinking and that's 90% of what we do in the fight is that's what the contractor fight means is the fight between your ears how you think about your value in the world and time and all that stuff. And then practically speaking, the next step is we teach you how to stop going around doing free estimates, you know, like, um, 
Oh God, and that's it, a pain in the ass. And this gets a lot of pushback, believe it or not. I get more hate mail from contractors going, "You can't do that." You know, blah blah. We're not saying charge for estimates. We're saying we don't go free, we don't go to do free estimates. So um, we we have a rule in the fight uh, that we we teach that you should never put your fingers to the keyboard to type up a proposal unless the customer has already agreed to doing the job and they know what it's about to cost. That you are not in the proposal writing business, okay? Mm -hmm. You are not gonna change your family's legacy and your family financial tree by typing up bids and just hoping shit works out. <laughs> and so, um, and we found that the average, like you talk about the craftsman cycle, like when you free up the amount of time, when you cut in half, at least cut in half, the amount of time you're spending in the quote unquote estimating and sales process, um, it frees up all this other time for you to train your guys, for you to hire people, for you to focus mm. and work on the business instead of in the business. And so that's, that's a huge part for us of getting off that cycle. Um, and then another big part that we get a lot of, uh, lot of love letters on is uh, we encourage contractors to never, ever do a project unless you're going to make a 50% gross profit. Meaning if it's a $10,000 job, meaning if it costs you $10,000 in, in labor, materials, and permits, direct costs, cost of goods, whatever you want to call it, you better charge at least 20 or more mm -hmm. and then produce it at that. And that is the fastest way also to get out of that craftsman cycle because a lot of people are on that cycle because they're not, they're, they're not priced high enough, number one. They're wasting all this time running around typing up bids and all that garbage for people that are never going to be their customer. And then they don't make enough money to deliver a great experience for the client, which means I got to jump off this job, start this other one so I can get a deposit to keep things afloat. And then you got all these open jobs. You never really finish anything. You got unhappy customers. And, you know, it's just a whole mess that spirals from there because you don't value your time and you don't truly believe in your heart of hearts um, that you are worth at least a 50% gross profit. And dude, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm like my, I'm my own biggest fan with this because of our team. This is, believe me, more my team than me. I just happen to be the guy getting interviewed, but I am so proud of like our members in the fight because we, the messages we get are, I started to listen to your podcast. I implemented the stuff you've said for free on YouTube and it saved my marriage. Or I got, a, I got a text from a guy going, man, your sales process. He sent me a picture of his daughter standing on third base of a soccer game or a, a softball game. And he said, um, hey, because of your sales process and I really took control of this, I'm able to be here instead of running around doing estimates for people that don't respect my time. When normally I miss my daughter's games. I mean, and your mm -hmm. listeners can fill in the blank, whatever that means to them. But you want to get off the cycle, you got to, it starts with how you think. And, and I don't know if you could see it over my shoulder. I got our fight values here. And one of them there says yep. get oxygen. Okay. You have to get oxygen. You, the, the king eats first and you're the king. Okay. Your family gets your best time, energy, your health, your attention, and your money. And until you believe that you're going to struggle. Go, go through the rest of the list. I, I got to ask Tom, <laughs> that's a good one. The, the board behind you. Oh, okay. Well, um, own your crap, you know, nope. There's no progress without truth, right? A lot of people are, oh, you know, customers are crappy. They're all cheap. Okay. Well, what in your character is preventing you 
from building your brand and selling at higher prices and getting the right customers. And until you own your crap, you're just a victim and a victim's never going to be successful in anything you do. If you're, I don't know, next time whoever you guys listen to this, next time you're in the shower, you get out of the shower, look at the fat guy in the mirror. Okay. And own your crap. Like what in your character makes you to the point where you can barely bend over and tie your shoes without running out of breath. That's bullshit. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, get oxygen. I talked about that's really just, in, it's a couple of meanings, but it's take care of you first, your own family, your own team. Yep. It's an inside out approach to your business and life. Positive peeps only. That's, we don't hire, work with, coach, partner with people that are not generally positive human beings. Amen. And because um, the world is negative enough, it's hard enough to, to succeed without having a bunch of Debbie Downers around. It <laughs> doesn't mean you can't have a bad day. We all have bad days and bad sure. seasons and rough days and rough seasons, but um, play the long game. This one is, um, this is a, and by the way, we use all these, we talk about these every day in our team meetings. We coach around these and everything. Every decision we make is filtered through these as a company, like how we put on an event or whatever play the long game is we're not a fast transactional company. That's why we continue to do more free content than anybody, mm -hmm. everybody, because we, our mission in the fight is to bring respect and dignity back to the trades. And we can actually accomplish that mission without charging a dime. Like we can put out content that helps people. Cause I understand not everyone's going to be our customer, you know? Mm -hmm. And like I said earlier, the, the ones that want to be part of our communities and they want to move faster and all that other stuff and have those great relationships that we have paid stuff, but in general play the long game. It's like, you know, this is a marathon. It's not a sprint from here to the other side of the room, roll the red. That's about rolling the red carpet. Everything we do, we try to make sure that we're putting our best foot forward. You know, we have our mile high profit summit in September. And last year we did it for the first time. Uh, in it's in Denver. And um, the biggest feedback we heard from people was you guys held nothing back. Everything was first class the way, you know, mm -hmm. from the speakers to the, to the food, to the swag, to everything was um, we just, we didn't want to half-ass anything, you know, cause, cause we're again, protecting our brand with that. This is just mm -hmm. how we do things. You know, I, I don't know if you heard the phrase um, how you do, how you, uh, yep. one, one thing's how you do everything. Right. So exactly. half-assing something at the event, I guarantee you we're half-assing something else. Um, earn confidence. I think that's huge, um, in anything, but I just think that it doesn't matter what I did yesterday, what our team did yesterday, what your sales guy did yesterday. You got to earn your confidence today, earn your keep, carry mm -hmm. your water, um, shed assumptions. Uh, I think that's huge for any leader. Uh, and, us as a coaching organization, that's big. You know, I'll give you a story on this one. Many years ago, I had a guy tell me he had to opt out of one of our programs and me being younger and stupid. Um, I started getting in his face a little and challenging him going, you know, you need to, you need to be committed and all this other garbage, right. You know, that we can mm -hmm. talk for days on. And he goes, well, dude, um, that's really not the case. I am committed, but if I have a choice to make, I could either stay in your program or um, I can pay for my wife's chemo. Mm. You talk about feeling like a half inch tall. Mm -hmm. I felt horrible, apologized like crazy, but that really taught me a lesson that I think 
so many of the problems we have in the world is we're making assumptions about other people and what they're thinking and what their motives are. And that's really causes us to calm down and go, Hey man, what's the story? What's going on? What do you need from us? How can we help you? Instead of lecturing, we ask better questions. Uh, go for it is, is another one. I personally don't respect people that have a tell me nice what reaction added to. Yeah. I want you to take, pull the trigger and take some action. And as long as it's ethical and it's moving in the direction of where we want to go and it's best for the client or for the team or whatever it is, then I trust you go do it. And then the final one is simplify. Uh, we're mm. always asking how, how can we make this more simple? We, uh, we meaning me has an idea every seven seconds of the day. And I'm always going to the team going, Hey, we should blah, blah, blah with this. And I have this opt in here and blah, blah, blah. And somebody on the team is always like, well, is that as simple as it can be? And I'm like, okay, never mind. I'll go back to my corner. Okay. <laughs> iterate, um, iterate. Yeah. So I think, you know, I, I think having values, everybody, you know, so many companies will put values on the wall or in a binder and they'll go over it with people on the first day. Like we're this and we're that, but you never, you don't live them out on a regular basis. You don't have conversations. You don't base your training on them. You don't make decisions with them. And, and that really hurts a company. And I think all these things combined kind of, um, get you off that craftsman cycle that we were talking mm -hmm. about. Yeah, I was just going to bring that full circle, Tom. Uh, you know, like I was going to ask, like, what kind of foundation do you need in place to really start operating more like a business? But we we touched on a few things there. You, you had mentioned you you started or took over the painting business uh, in April. You had uh, a bookkeeper just a few months mm -hmm. later, and we've talked about a couple of things. We've talked about the the values that drive your decision making. We've talked about actually setting up a, a marketing process so you can get in front of the right people. Even though, like, side note, that's typically the last thing that most contractors think about. Uh, the admin, the bookkeeping, getting your book straight. And then also that sales process, like actually having a process instead of just going out there, getting the work, doing it, and then just keep running that dead end process. Yeah, I'm a little unorthodoxed, which is why I've, you know, we have over a dozen other coaches in our organization. And several of them are systems rock stars. Let me just put that out there right now. I'm not. Um, my answer to my, which I'm not saying I'm right. I'm just saying, but you got to know yourself, right? I said earlier, I always look like who has strengths that I don't have, and I'm going to get out of the way and this and that. However, I, I believe this, that everything's easier when you're selling at the right rates. So I'm fanatical about scoring points. And that's what I did early on. I didn't know anything other than if I don't have customers, I don't have a business. And so it is just very natural to me to build the brand and shake hands and prospect and, and score points. Like, you know, I, my defense is better, the more points I score, <laughs> you know? So it's like, um, I'm not minimizing the need for processes and systems and all these other things, but I think so many younger companies that are under a million, million and a half, they're too focused on processes and systems and are not focused enough on another part of getting oxygen, right? Building your brand and getting sales. And mm -hmm. so, um, cause they, they're so concerned with, like I said earlier, producing the work and yes, of course the work's important and to be an amazing craftsman is important and quality. I'm never minimizing that, but I just personally see, you'll see it this summer. In fact, we're going into the summer right now. You will see this where, oh, August, end of July, August, and then especially in the fall, 
you'll start seeing posts because we I do a rant on this every year in the fight. You stop marketing during the busy season and then you wake up in the fall and you don't have any work. And that's why guys <laughs> can never get out of this cycle is because they think it's about the work. It's not about the work. The minute you said Bob's construction and put it on a business card, you've you've given up the right to be a craftsman in the field first. That that is now like the eighth priority in your in your day. And when somebody gets that, they get out of this cycle a lot quicker. Mm. So um, and building the and again, you know, we talk about a sales process. There are a couple of big mistakes I made early on. The first one I made is I didn't know what I was going to do with a lead when I got one. A lot of people start with their marketing plan. And I actually recommend you start with your sales plan. How are we, what are we going to do when we get a lead? Let's know that before we get one. Yeah. <laughs> and then um, the other big mistake I made is I, I did not, I mean, I was young, dude. I had no idea what I was doing. And I, I didn't know the importance of your database and you hear the money's in the list. And I left probably two and a half, three million dollars on the table in my first two years of business because I did not stay in touch, didn't even have a database. And a um, couple of years into it, we kind of got our heads out of our butts and we created one. And I just couldn't believe how much money was rolling in, you know, simply from that. And I'm blown away how many people that have been in business three, four, five years and they tell me they only have 48 people on their email list. Mm. I mean, that's, you know. Um, yeah, that's you, you've built tech and things like that. You know where I'm going with this. Like, like that's yeah, it's um, nurture, man. And Some then, of your best customers are going to be the ones that you've already had. And okay, coaching moment here. Back to the thing behind me yeah. where it says play the long game. Okay. Mm -hmm. I've literally had people say to me, Yeah, those people were tire kickers, they're never gonna hire me, they're dead to me, they can screw off. And I'm like, guys, you don't know who they're gonna hire, they might have a bad experience. You might not be a good fit today. Maybe they hired the cheap dude who screwed it up, or maybe they didn't do the project because the mother-in-law died and the project never got done this year, but because you kept in touch with them and we're adding value to them and all this other stuff that, you know, you can do through content and blah, blah, blah. Um, you're the one who's top of mind and they've forgotten about all the other guys. So that's playing the long game just because somebody, in fact, play the long game. I'll just go in our, our business right now. Somebody finds us on YouTube or the podcast or wherever the contractor fight, they opt into our email list at some point. We run our stats all the time. 94.87 days after somebody opts in with the contractor fight email list, they spend their first dollar with us. That's the wow. average. Okay. Yep. I have dozens of people in one of our programs right now that have listened to our stuff and followed it opted in for two years or more. They've been, I had a guy the other day, he's like, I've been listening to you since 2017 and I'm ready to pull the trigger now. Mm -hmm. That's playing the long game, right? It's it. And so that's the mistake so many contractors make is they're not focused enough on building that brand, playing the long game, adding value to people through great content, education, because uh, all these things make the sale much, much easier down the road. Yeah, I mean, the psychology behind it, Tom, is that you, you got to be the obvious choice. And that comes mm -hmm. from being top of mind. And so when that buyer is ready to buy, they, they're not going to be questioning. They're not going to go between one, two, three contractor. You're the obvious choice every single time. Yep. I want to talk about uh, giving up control. Uh, I hear a lot about this. Um, maybe I'll tee up the question a little bit. But let, let's just say you're in business. You're, you're a bags on contractor. You got maybe two, three, four guys working for you. Um, and you have some aspirations to grow the business, but you feel like 
you know, I'm sure you hear this all the time. Quality is going to suffer with more on the crew. But what are your thoughts on, you know, how much does actually growing your team impact quality? And how do you maintain that? Since that's the biggest fear that I'm sure every contractor that you coach talks about. Yeah. All right. Let's look at the, the one mistake in this area people make is they try to scale too quickly. They have the phones ringing off the hook and they're selling all these jobs. They don't have the capacity to do all the work. And now they're stressed and they settle for any warm body that comes in. And now you got bigger issues, right? One of the things we're always telling people is don't scale until you optimize your company and make it as profitable as can be. And if that means that you keep the bags on and you work side by side with a guy for three years in the field and you are focused on getting oxygen and just making sure that you're really passing the torch to a great right-hand person that can take something over, it depends on the trade. I know a lot of trades have many different variables and it's harder to train and this and that, right? But um don't be in a hurry to scale. Bigger is not always better. I mean, one, one of the things that back to the 50% rule that we talk about, like if, if you're a half million dollar company and you got all this work on the books and you look at all the, or a million dollar company, I don't care what you are. And you look and you go, if my work is not bid being bid and produced at at least a 50% gross profit, then I have no business trying to scale the business. Like, let's get to that point first, because what you'll find is you're going to keep more gross profit money. You're going to have more money to invest into the company, into training, into higher pay for your people. They're going to have a true career path. Mm -hmm. And remember, this is a marathon. A lot of people come out of the gate and they try to sprint too quickly. And I love sprinting with the best of them, man. But, um, you know, I've personally made that mistake in the past where you grow too quickly, you get out over your skis and you just end up wrecking down the road. And so I also want to say there's, I'm sure there's some people listening to this going with this 50% thing. I'm just going to address it because I always hear it. You'll, you will get to a certain point in your business where you will find your sweet spot with your gross profit margin. Okay. I'm just saying for people that don't know jack about their numbers, don't know how to really job costs, don't understand break-even revenue, break-even sales and all that other stuff. Um, the fastest way to make more money immediately is figure out what the job's going to cost you, double it. And then, so if it's costing me five, I charge 10, I pay the five to do the job. I got that five left over that goes to pay the overhead in the business. Okay. And it contributes to the overhead, which is your salary and all that other stuff. That's, that's the little asterisk here. I understand that when a company grows and scales and this and that, and they get several million that, and depending on the trade and things like that, um, you may be, I mean, we have a lot of people that are home, uh, um, GCs that are subbing all their workout doing 50, 60% gross profit right now. We have home builders that are at 35%. We've got specialty contractors that are 50, 60, 70% gross profit, but it's your sweet spot to find as time goes on as your job costing. So if I, if I'm a young business, uh, and it's you and I, you and I across the table and I need answers, Tom what systems should I be putting in place today to manage quality across the team for those two, three, four or five members before I start scaling up? Um, well, number one, you define what a successful project is. Mm. Um, I know hardly anybody does this with my, one of my companies, a painting company we did, we defined, this is what a winning paint job looks like. And we literally spelled it out and we trained on it every week with our crew leaders. Um, and it's, 
from the way we communicate to the way we set up to where we stage things to the way we close a job out to the way we communicate everything in between um and we have this this uh i i struggle to say uh document because i made it and it looks like crap but it's a thing i made years ago called 20 steps to a successful job and mm -hmm. everything about what happens when the phone rings to who's doing it to how do we know it's a win and you have to define a win like what's the thing who does the thing? When do we do the thing? And how do we know we won the thing? You know, what's a good closeout look like? What's a good final walkthrough look like? And when you define what a win is, it makes it much easier to train your team. So that's the first thing I would do. And then the second is having those regular meetings. And, you know, consistency is key there because you can't just have a meeting a quarter or one meeting a month and think people are going to remember it. Remember, they're not business owners and they're not going to think like you you have to teach them how to see a job site and, and to check their work. And it's a long process, especially when, if you got guys that come from other companies that were trained by other people in not so good of a way and mediocrity was tolerated, that's tough. And it's also tough when you got somebody who's brand new to the trade, but if the character is good, if they're coachable, it's a total win. Mm -hmm. And the last thing I remind people of here is, um, Remember when you started your business and you were the only guy and you made a mistake, nobody knew except you and the customer and you owned it and you learned from it and you got better and you chalked it up to, Hey, I'm taking my lumps. And then when our guys make a mistake, we get all over them. Like it's never supposed to happen and it's just not fair. And so yeah. we always chalk up. Um, I mean, I could think of, tens and tens and tens of thousands of dollars of mistakes through the years that I had to pay for. And we always chalked it up to a marketing expense. That was mm. just how I personally reframed it. So I wouldn't get bitter about it. Like, Hey, this is just a learning. This is a learning experience. And what matters most. Yeah. We screwed the pooch on this. It wasn't done right. We need to redo it. What matters most is that the customer felt respected right on the other end of this they feel like it, it, they got a good experience we took it on the chin we didn't make excuses and that mis those mistakes when you own them and you just walk in run into the punch like that um those end up bringing in hundreds of thousands if not millions of dollars for you through the years because that's part of building your brand you know mm -hmm. and what do most contractors do when the homeowner points something out or a guy makes mistakes they argue with the homeowner or they cuss out the guys yeah, it's a fire. And then they wonder, then they wonder why people don't want to stay working for them. And I never can keep a team together. It's because you treat people like crap. And so look in the mirror and remember, all, I mean, I, I, my God, I feel like some of the jobs I did early on when I was working in the field by myself, I should, if I were going to really do the right thing, I should contact my first hundred clients, go back and refund them all for whatever they paid me 20 years ago, like paint jobs. Cause I, I was not the best painter and I never claimed to be. Mm -hmm. And I look back now and I'm ashamed. It's kind of like my first speaking gigs I ever got paid for. I should refund those people too. But... <laughs> <laughs> we all, we all feel that sense of imposter syndrome as well. Um, Tom, I, I like how you brought up the, when you make, cause mistakes in construction are expensive. Uh, I mean, you definitely don't like making them, but I just love how you reframed it in marketing or like the first thing that came to my head was like R&D. Like all, you have all yeah. these tech companies and a lot of these, these product companies, everything, all of it gets put into R&D. You make mm -hmm. mistakes, R&D. 
I've never yeah. heard it framed that way for a construction <laughs> company. It's honestly pretty damn refreshing to hear. Well, I think it happened one day. I don't even remember who said it. It was me or my old business partner. We were having lunch one day and we totally screwed something up. And, and it was like, well, we'll just send the guys back and we'll fix it. And one of us said something like, eh, it's just marketing at this point or something like that. And I don't know. It's just always <laughs> stuck. Right. And, um, Here's something else with the team. One thing is we talk a lot about, we talk about the people game. Human beings have, uh, there's, I'll, I'll give you the cliff notes. Uh, many, many years ago, a bunch of smart guys did a worldwide study of societies, demographics, economic levels, all this other stuff. And they came up with a book like 18 inches thick, right? That talked about people's fears and needs across the globe, okay? And then a bunch of other smart guys took that and dwindled it down to a really small book um, or concept that I don't even remember the name of because I learned this in a training thing 15 years ago and I didn't write down the name of the book. So shame on me. However, I guarantee what I'm about to tell you is true. And it's in my book. If people want it, you can get my book for free. So I'm not trying to sell it just, but it's in my book and I explain it. We call it the people game in the fight. There are uh, basically five fears. The first fear is the fear of death, okay? Second fear is fear of the outsider. The third fear is uh, an unclear future. The fourth fear is chaos. And the fifth fear is insignificance, okay? Across all peoples across the world, these were the five most common fears that people had, have. Each fear creates a need in those people. Okay. So for instance, um, the fear of death creates a need for security. Okay. Now there could be obviously physical death, especially in the trades. Um, there could be career death and things like that. Okay. There's different types of death. So I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on death, but you can sit here and I go, okay, if people have this fear in their DNA over death, what is my part as a leader to create security for them? So maybe I'm going to make sure I'm investing in the right safety training and the right equipment and things like that. If you showed up, Breck, today, if you showed up with seven fingers and one eyeball at six in the morning on the job site, I want to make sure I send you home that night with seven fingers and one eyeball and no, mm -hmm. none less, right? Like it's just that thing. Then you move into the, and guys, this, appear, this applies to your clients and your team, by the way. And then you move into the fear of the outsider. You know what it's like when the new guy joins the crew. Nobody likes him. He might be better, <laughs> right? So the fear of the outsider drives a need to create community with your team. That's why when you hire somebody, make a big deal out of it. You know, mm -hmm. show up, give them his shirts. Don't act like, oh yeah, I forgot you were starting today. Instead, have the whole company there, have a company breakfast and get to know everybody and go on hikes and fishing trips. And which is why we need to charge more money, by the way, so we can afford to do this shit. Yep. <laughs> All right. But you, if the better you are at creating a community, that fear of the outsider. Now for your customers, most guys in the trades, we're loud, we're tatted up, we drive big trucks, we're, you know, we do this stuff every day, we bang on the door and we invade the house, we're the outsider. So how can I as a business owner create, we call it minding the gap in the way we teach people in the sales process and in marketing stuff to build the brand, you know, how can we build community with our clients before we ever set foot in their property? Okay, so they're, you know, 
that's why we do a lot of content. We introduce people to the team and whatever. Mm -hmm. um, I'll pick one more here. Fear of chaos. This is a huge one. People leave jobs because there's too much chaos. They dread Monday mornings. You know, um, that drives the need to create order. So I'm going to ask everybody listening to this right now, do a self-assessment. Think of the two or three ways right now that chaos is showing up in your business every day. Do the guys know where they're going next week? Do they have clear scopes of work? Do they, you know, I mean, I, we could go on and on with how chaos shows up. Okay. Oh, Hey, we got a new job, but we don't really have a system to put it through and all this other stuff. What do we do with it? Every job's a new adventure. There's chaos, right? I'm getting yelled at by the homeowner because the scope wasn't clear and all this other garbage. So it's our job as a leader to create order and things like that. So this is part of this people game where, you know, how do we control, see back to your original question about, you know, making sure qualities kick ass and all this other stuff and building a great, strong team. It starts with the dude looking back or the dudette looking back in the mirror at you going, what type of leader, how am I showing up as a leader? Am I creating the conditions to create the type of environment here that people want to be a part of? They want to grow, they want to get better. And if not, they're going to bail or they're not going to care about quality or whatever it is. So when you take the values, things we talked about, this people game stuff we've talked about, those two things alone, um, you will create a fanatically loyal team. Absolutely. Who gives a you crap. A, yeah, go ahead. You, you hit on a great process for building a foundation for a business. I mean, nothing communi communicated craftsman cycle to that. Yeah, I mean, it's, and I mean, I'm hiring somebody right now. We're interviewing, we're doing two positions right now. One's an admin assistant position because our current admin team is overwhelmed. Um, and I've totally turned the hiring of that over to the, the admin people. And the second position that we're hiring for right now is our, uh, I don't even know what we're calling it. <laughs> uh, like we're making this up. Uh, this is all, all the really highly organized people in the world listening to this right now are freaking out, but I'm, I'm okay. I built my parachute on the way down type guy. Um, <laughs> we sell apparel in the contractor fight. Well, we're a multi-million dollar company and we sell peanuts when it comes to apparel. Yet we have this incredibly loyal community that loves to wear our stuff, but we don't do anything to push our stuff, if that makes sense, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm just yeah. looking at that segment of the business. So I'm hiring a champion of apparel right now to really head up that division. Well, this individual that I'm talking to right now, this is, at, I guess, the last point of hiring here. And I know I... I acknowledge it's hard in the trades when you have all this work lined up and you're missing revenue and all this because you can't produce. So I acknowledge that. But again, I'm playing the long game. I'd rather hire the right human being than a human being that has the skills I need right now. Mm. Okay. And it's the old saying, you know, hire character and train the skill. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and I get it. That's a tough dance, especially when you got all this construct uh, production in front of you, but this person that we're interviewing right now, um, I was talking to somebody else on my team about, about it today. This, I think, I, I don't think this is the right person. This person has zero idea how to build the apparel side of a company has never done it. I've never done it. None of us have ever done it. 
but I know enough because I look at the track record of everybody I've hired in the fight. For the most part, I've hired amazing human beings that give a crap and they're in it for the right reasons. They want to grow and they want to get better and we figure it out. And so I can't stress enough, hire, hire what we call FWs, F and winners. Okay. And that's, um, you can say it on the show and tell them. Okay. Yep. Hashtag <laughs> FW is fucking winners. Like people go, yeah, I want a players. I'm like, I don't want a players. I want fucking winners. Right. Cause winners do whatever it takes to get the job done. They find a way that is a key trait of a, of an FW is they find a way to win. And, um, and so this person that we're most likely going to offer in the next week or so, I had one phone call with this person the other day and I'm like, and we did an assessment on her already and all this other stuff. And I'm just like, I asked the team, a couple of people who've talked to her as well. I'm like, am I off base here? Like, am I seeing it right? And they're like, no, this is the person, this person's going to fit in great with our culture and they're going to figure it out. And, um, and so I'd rather, and I have another person on my team I'm thinking of right now who I hired over a little over a year ago. We made up a position was, we weren't sure what the position was going to look like. And her role has changed two or three times in the last year. And now she's a guru in this other area, kicking ass for people because we hired the right person. So that's, that's so backwards in construction companies. Typically they want to hire for the skill and then like character comes second or last. Talk to us about like what you look for in character, especially when you're coaching these construction mm -hmm. companies, how do you hire for character when Tom, you need to get the job done. Again, I'm choosing my pain. Mm. It's the pain of having the wrong person or it's the pain of having to put off production and say, no, I'm sorry, I can't get to that job. Which goes back and connects the dots back to making sure you're charging enough, making sure you're not running around doing a bunch of free bids for people that are ever going to be your client. And on and on, when you free up all that time and you're charging enough, you can play the longer game with the people. You know, you can spend more time with them and train the right person and this and that. So I, th that's just, that's just the way I roll. I'd rather, um, I'd rather embrace the pain of the slow crawl, you know, of building a team, than build a team of the wrong people and screw my culture up forever. Mm. And, um, and so character things, you know, I, I, um, I want people that are competitive. Um, I want people that know what it's like to succeed. So when I interview somebody, even when I was interviewing just for trades positions, I would ask questions like, um, and real quick, I know I'm squirreling on you here, but I get fired up about this shit. The values that I keep pointing to behind me, we use those as a basis for our interview questions. Yeah. So we interview around our values. So, Hey, you know, Breck share, roll the red, right? Hey, Breck share a time that, um, that you really felt like a company totally blew your socks off with the way they, they delivered service to you. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, if I just come out and go, do you think we should offer great service to people? Oh yeah. Okay. Of course. They can be us <laughs> or um, positive peeps only. Hey, Breck, tell me about a time that um, you were in a, in a situation in the last couple of weeks where it was really hard to be positive. How'd you handle it? Okay. Um, another question I ask all the time is I want, and I got this from a podcast. Um, it was a, I forget who it was. Um, and if I get the details wrong, the concept is the same. So 
Google used to have these interns that would, they get all these thousands of resumes from people, right? Everyone wanted to work at Google. And they, I guess they put all these interns in a room with highlighters and they just went through the resumes and they looked for what the guy, guy I heard the interview with, what I think he called extreme accomplishment. Okay. So was, you know, three-time judo champion in high school. They'd highlight that, you know, uh, got a scholarship to play piano at blah, blah, blah. You know, um, I'm thinking of one of our daughters right now. She's into 4-H with the horse, uh, you know, um, uh, goats. She shows goats, sells goats. She wins grand champion every year. That would be in there and it would be highlighted. Okay. And the reason he said they did that, they didn't even look at all the other crap they first went through. And if there was nothing highlighted of what they considered something of extreme accomplishment, which showed they knew how to be disciplined and consistent and things like that, they didn't even look at the rest of the resume. Mm -hmm. And so that always stuck with me. So I always ask um, a question like, hey, what, what have you done in your life that you would consider extreme accomplishment? Um, and if they have a hard time answering it, and I know they're BSing their way through it, I'm not interested. Yeah. Um, and then another question I would ask, I always ask, because one of the values that's important to me in people are characteristics, is I want somebody who's not going to be satisfied with their successes. I want somebody who continually wants to grow and get better. So I will literally say, hey, Breck, what have you done in the last three months to grow as a person, either personally or in your career? Mm. If they say, um, like I'm, I'm looking, I'm pretty lenient on this one too, because I understand most people don't live in my world of personal development and mindset and mm -hmm. they're conditioned by the mediocrity around them. But if they say, you know, last year, I, um, uh, somebody I recently talked to, they said, you know, I didn't like who I was becoming in December around the holidays this past year. So I gave up drinking for two months. Okay. That shows me at least there's a yeah. cell in their body that wants to be better. Um, mm -hmm. or, I joined a gym or I, um, you know, I, I started listening to this podcast or re I read a book, I read a book a month or whatever, just cause somebody, this is, here's another point here. Just cause guys are, people are in the trades doesn't mean they get a hall pass on being better people that want to get better. I think the, a lot of, of the stigma of the trades is, oh, that's where it's a great fallback option, right? That's where you go if you can't be successful. And that's mm -hmm. why we continue to accept, uh, uh, hire and recruit and tolerate people that are underachievers is we're not raising the bar for the type of people that we bring into our business. Absolutely. So, and then you wonder I mean, why you have all these freaking problems where, hey, Tom, your guy was uh, <clears throat> pissing on the side of my garage today when he was painting the house, you know, and all these other ridiculous things that we hear as owners or the, just the thing like guys showing up, yeah. you know, um, you know, it's it's a um, so I like to without getting political. Also, I like to ask questions that really share is somebody like a victim mindset, entitlement, that stuff, or are they willing to earn their keep? Um, you know, I might say, hey, what do you think about this whole thing with, you know, canceling everyone's student loans? Mm -hmm. You know, what are your thoughts on that? And that's going to tell me a lot about how they approach things. Mm -hmm. So, because I certainly have my thoughts on it, but. No, that, that's um, great. I mean, even, even for our business, like one, one of the biggest things for us is growth minded mindedness uh like whether we're talking about books or someone's going to recommend mm -hmm. a podcast episode or who are they inspired by 
And it just shows us that they have this uh, growth mindset versus a fixed mindset. The fixed mindset mm-hmm. does not get anywhere, especially when you need to run a business, you need to grow a business, you need to hire people, they need to hire people under them. So that's like a very key uh, thing for us. And we, we take a lot of time even, you know, we're not hiring folks in construction, but hiring is the same across the board when you're, yeah. when you're hiring for character. And so that's the, the big thing that we look for is, you know, are they, are they pinging us? Are they texting us? Are they shooting emails saying like, are they taking an interest in our business? Do they know what they're interviewing for when they show up? Like mm-hmm. it's just the little nuances of being detail oriented and having that growth mindset is really just like we had talked about, it's the most important to the part of the business outside of the skill sets. You can learn skills, especially if you have a growth mm-hmm. mindset, you can learn the skills. We have a, um, back to that people game with those fears and all that other stuff. Um, one of the other fears is people have a, um, have a fear of an uncertain future. Okay. Everyone wants to know what's in it for them. Where's my life going? And that, mm-hmm. that creates a need for clarity. So back to interviewing people and stuff and choosing people for the team, we have a, we, we encourage people to create what we call a mastery ladder, where this is like, you come in at the company and this is how you move up, right? You give them a clear path. Mm-hmm. Cause what I found is FWs don't want to stay in a position or in a company that they don't have a clear path to keep winning in their life. And so one of the ways, um, and I started asking this when one of my buddies who I grew up with is interviewing for a sales job. Uh, and I said, how'd it go? And he says, oh, they hired me on the spot and all this other stuff it was a long time ago. And I said, I said, what turn, he had no experience in the industry, all this other stuff. I said, how'd you get the job, man? And he goes, well, at the end, the guy asked me if I had any questions for him. And he says, yeah, I got a question for you. And he said, I leaned up like the guys behind his desk. He says, I leaned up on the guy's desk, you know, a little closer. And he yeah. says, I just want to know, Breck, is this the type of job that if I put in the work, and outwork everybody, I can, I can move up and find my way here. And, and actually, you know, all that sort of a thing. And the guy leaned back, started laughing. He says, you know, you're the only person on the planet I've ever interviewed. That's ever asked a question like that. Usually it's, when do I get a raise? What benefits do I get? So I started asking those types of questions or, you know, I look for those questions or when I say to somebody, do you have any questions for me? I'm looking for something that's a little out of the ordinary. That just says a lot about their character to me. For anyone listening, they have a hard hitting question for the next interview. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I mean, and listen, man, I've been through the ringer. I fired seven guys on black Monday, many years ago, seven guys in 20 minutes out of my 12 man crew at the time um, because they were toxic. And so I'm, this runs deep in me, man. I would rather you know, when I was a painter, I'd rather put my whites back on and go sling a brush for eight, 10, 12 hours a day, and then come home and do all the other BS of the business than I would tolerate the wrong people on my team that are going to screw up my brand and my culture. So that's just me picking my heart. So, yeah, and that, that's difficult to let them go. I mean, if they're producing work, I mean, seven people on the 12, I mean, mm-hmm. that's well, the five decision, that I kept, but more five that, in the long term, but dude, the five that I kept, I pulled aside like we're all on the same jobs. It was a big project we were painting and I got rid of everybody in 20 minutes. It was a whole long story. Like this guy was related to this guy. And if you fire him, I'm leaving. And my wife is his cousin and blah, blah, blah. Like it was crazy. And I've just like cut ties. I called my business partner at the time. I said, Hey, I got good news and I got bad news. 
He says, what's the good news? I said, well, I've taken control of our company, taken back control of our company. He says, what's the bad news? I said, well, I fired seven guys. And <laughs> I pulled the five aside and I said, hey guys, um, I had to do that. I appreciate you being here. They all immediately were like, you made the right move. Those guys were toxic, all this other stuff. I gave these guys all like a 20% raise on the spot. And dude, in the next two weeks, that five-man team outproduced the 12-man team. Profits went through the roof. I mean, there was all, the morale was better. Um, they started bringing their other buddies into our company. And then we grew our numbers back up because when you have the wrong people on the team, it's, it's a shit show. So it's, and it's a hard lesson. That's why I said earlier, when you charge more, when you're protecting your time in the estimating and sales process, you're buying yourself time, right? And um, to, to play the long game with some of these things. Speaking of sales, talk to us about the sales process. Shin Fu. Yeah. What the hell was that? Give us the breakdown, Tom. <laughs> well, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a little, it, it's a pre-qualification process. Uh, generally takes anywhere from five to 20 minutes on the phone with somebody. Um, and it's rooted in protecting everybody's time, yours and the clients. Cause I'll tell you what, anyone listening to this, if you're trying to get bids from contractors, it's a pain in the butt. Uh, they don't communicate well with you. Mm -hmm. um, you wait a week and a half for somebody to come out to your house. Then they're there. And all they do is tell you about their Camaro that they've been re refinishing. They never ask you any questions about you. And then you wait another three or four or five days to get a bid from them. And you just go, I just wasted my time. Trust me. Prospects don't want to meet with you any more than you want to meet with them. If you're not a Amen. good fit, trust me. Okay. So um, it's a five-step process. The first is motive. Um, people buy for their reasons, not my reasons. And if you don't uncover their reasons, you're just, you're not you're never going to add value to them. So, um, and motive is not, I don't want to spend a lot of money. That is not motive. Motive is found by having empathy, asking a lot of um, open-ended questions, peeling them back, things like that. Second step is the money where we teach you how to get somebody's budget hundred percent of the time um, without ever setting foot on the prop property and just having a conversation. And it could sound like this, Hey, Breck, based on what you're telling me with this, um, um, you know, backyard getaway, you want to have to entertain and blow up. We'll recap the motive, which is a whole long, that could be an hour and a half conversation there. Um, I'll say, based on what you're telling me, I have one of two ways to approach your project. You know, we can build you a backyard getaway that's on the cover of all the local design magazines and landscape industry. And people are going to be wanting to drive by your house and take pictures and all that other crap. And, and you're going to be like the envy of the neighborhood and something like that might be two to $300,000. On the other end, we could come in and give you that outdoor kitchen and the fire pit you want and blah, 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 with some turf and some nice garden plantings and not go crazy like that. And that might be 75 to $100,000. Which of those conversations does it make sense for us to have? And then shut your mouth. Mm. You will get their budget 100% of the time. And sometimes guys are like, like remodelers and stuff and GCs. I know it's a little trickier. Hey, we want a new kitchen or an addition. Just a simple question like, hey, am I designing you a $300,000 kitchen or am I designing you a $50,000 kitchen? Big difference. Okay. So that's, that's the money. The third step is the truth. Um, you screw this up, you screw the whole thing up. The truth is basically, this is where contractors go, well, Tom, I can't give a price if I don't go see the thing, right? 
And the truth is, if I say to you the kitchen thing, and you go, yeah, Tom, we were thinking 40 to 50 grand to redo the cabinets or whatever the hell, right? Um, then I might say, okay, well, what would you like to do next? And usually they go, well, do you come out and measure and this and that? Yeah, I'm happy to, are, I'm happy to come out if you want to invite me out. You never invite yourself out. You only you get them to invite you. And guys, this is done through role plays and different scenarios mm -hmm. and word tracks that we teach and this and that. And then I will say, hey, listen, um, I'm excited to come out and look at your kitchen or whatever. But Breck, I, I want to call a timeout quick in here and tell you something. On occasion, it's not very uh, frequent, but on rare occasion, I get out to a, a home and I see a game-changing condition that's going to prevent me from doing the job for the budget that we talked about. You know, you told me 40 to 50. I might get out there and see something with a wall that just is an issue or there might be access to something that's a pain in the butt and it's going to totally blow the budget out. And if that's the case, I'm just going to call a timeout and tell you, Hey, I can't do it for that. Are you cool? If we just call a timeout, if at any point, this isn't going to make sense for us. So that's how you protect yourself from painting yourself into a budget corner. Um, and there's more to that step. Fourth step is influencers. Um, I spent eight hours once on a bid for somebody just to find out, okay, now let me give the bid to my landlord. <laughs> <laughs> they and um and this isn't like both people need to be there and you know like a lot of hardcore pressure sales companies do like both people need to be in the kitchen for a sit I'm not going yeah, there yeah. um i did that this is just simply um hey you know breck we were talking 40 to 50 grand who else is excited to do this project oh it's my wife oh cool what do you think she's going to think of 40 or 50 grand mm. i don't know Okay, well, listen, last thing I'd want to do is come out there and get everybody, get you all excited about this. And I'm all excited about doing your kitchen just to find out that your wife doesn't even want a kitchen. Would it make sense for her to just jump on speakerphone with us for a minute? And I can answer any questions she has. Or sometimes it's, why don't you talk to your wife and call me back if she's cool with this um, or whatever it might be, or business partner, this and that. And then the fifth step is we call the BS meter, which is our consultation fee. So if you go, yeah, 40 to 50 grand sounds great. And then you go out there and then now they want to think about it and get other bids. This prevents that. So, hey, Breck, listen, if I come out there just to tell you it's 40, 48,000 bucks, I'll paint a picture. Like, Breck, if I come out and it's $42,000, what's going to happen next? Mm. And you're going to go, well, I'll have to get a few other bids. We literally will tell you, well, listen, dude, we have this stupid, crazy consultation fee. It's 500 bucks to come out there and measure things and kind of start sketching things out and this and that and start the design conversation. And the last thing I want to do is charge you a consultation fee. I just, I'd rather just do the job for you and just get a deposit check. So why don't, you know, if you're going to get some other bids and stuff, Breck, why don't you go talk to some other people first, get some other bids. If you find somebody you like, hire them. And if you don't, let's pick this back up and have a conversation. What has happened earlier in the motive and the way these questions are asked and the way that you're showing empathy, you're creating a human connection with them that I guarantee that their competitor, your competitors never yeah. will. And so you might be twice the price. This happens all the time where we have people in our sales training where their close rate goes down, but their bank account four X's in six months. Mm -hmm. Okay. Their sales go through the roof. Their gross profit goes through the roof. They're doing less jobs, making way more money because they're not playing that same 
estimating sales game everybody else's. So that in a nutshell is what's called the Shin Fu, which is named after one of my business partners in our sales training company. Uh, his last name is Shin Holzer. And he got sick of being ghosted by people um, <laughs> after he gave him a price. And he's you know multimillionaire several times older, over, sold several multimillion dollar companies. And he created these five kind of steps that we we've called the Shin Fu. And he in his lap before he sold his last company at the end of 2020, the last four years of business, he was a hundred percent closing rate when he went to somebody's home. Like in the three years before that, he was in the 90s, meaning he never picked up a consultation fee. He only picked up deposit checks. Mm-hmm. And that's that's kind of like a golden rule in our world is never go to somebody's house without collecting money. So interesting. Yeah. And that's that typically gets, backwards. That it's gets a shit ton of pushback from contractors. Cause I guarantee you, your audience right now, about 85, 90% of them are calling BS on it. And mm-hmm. there's a very small percentage that are listening to this, that are going to embrace this and they're going to look into it and they're going to change their lives. And they're going to be, you know, light years ahead of everybody else. So you get to choose which group you want to be a part of. So how do you, how do you humanize it? I mean, I mean, you kind of walk through some of the script and everything and you, you guys probably give them a template and everything going through the training. But I mean, when, when does, when is process so overloaded that it doesn't even feel human anymore? Well, our whole thing's rooted in empathy. I'm, I'm like amped up tonight. Like I just, like I told you, I walked in from a workout and my adrenaline is up and I'm, I love <laughs> having these conversations. So I'm talking faster. My tonality is like really direct and in your face. This is not how it sounds when we're selling, right? Mm -hmm. So I want to be very clear there. Like I just get pumped by this stuff, but it's techniques of mirroring and labeling and, you know, Mm. just really, um, you know, Hey, I'll give you an example. Um, I had a sales uh, call many years ago where this, where I basically implemented the five steps, right? And we're in the motive. And I said, um, uh, I said to this guy, so what are we looking to do? He says, I want to paint the whole house. And I said, okay. I said, um, you know, what, what's prompting you to do that now? And uh, he's like, well, my wife doesn't like the color. And I'm like, cool. looks like it was painted in the last couple of years. I'm, I'm like, what's the deal with the guy that painted it before? Okay, I'm just asking questions. I'm just being curious, right? Curiosity wins in this game. And we, we talk about peel, don't pounce, okay? Don't pounce all over something that you hear. Just keep peeling it back, right? And I'm fast-tracking a 15-minute conversation with this guy in his sure. foyer. But he says, um, I says, what, you know, have you reached out? Or you, what, what are your plans with the other contract or whatever? He's, and his vein pops out in his neck. His face starts turning red. And he's like, we'll never hire that MF and company ever again. And I said, I said, wow, sounds like they hit a nerve with you. That's, that's labeling sounds like, mm-hmm. and he goes hit a nerve. He says, let me tell you. And he went on for 15 minutes and he's like, I hired these guys. They came to paint the house a, a week when I was out of town, I travel for work. He goes every single night I um, would call home and my wife would give me the third degree about the painters and how they left a mess here and they did this and they screwed this up and she's like they were kind of creepy and blah 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 and they had little kids and they're leaving tools around and he just went on and on and on and on 
Now, at this point, most contractors pounce. Well, we never leave a mess and we swiffer yeah. the rooms and we use, <laughs> right? Like, so I go, I bet you probably didn't look forward to calling home each night. He goes, no, not at all. I never want to go through that again. I said, and we'll just call him Scott. I go, Scott, I'm sorry to hear that. It really sucks, but I, I got a question for you. I just got to know what, uh, what was the vibe like when you came back in town? <laughs> and so I'm putting him in the moment again, right? People buy for pain or pleasure. The only two reasons people buy his was pain. He goes, Oh yeah. When I got back in town, I slept on the couch for like three nights, you know, cause my wife was pissed at me, yeah. blah, blah, blah. And dude, he's going on his face is red. Like I'm telling you, the emotion was there because I just kept peeling it back, peeling it back and creating this connection. And it wasn't accusatory. It was just conversational. And so I go, I said, Hey, well, listen, I know we haven't even gotten out of the foyer and looked at anything around here yet. I said, but, um, what, uh, what would happen if I wrote into the contract that if your wife spent one second of her life cleaning up after my team, the whole job would be free. And I shut my mouth. He looks at me, he goes, you would put that in your contract. I said, I have no problem putting that in my contract. He says, you put that in the contract, the job's yours. Let's get it done. I said, I haven't even told you how much it's going to be. It's probably going to be 20 to 30,000 bucks based on your house in this neighborhood. He goes, I told you, I don't care what it costs. He says, I never want to go through that again. Mm. That's connecting emotionally with somebody. And I, I, another incident that we had was uh, it, the, the motive can be rerouted and somebody doesn't want to be embarrassed. I just dropped shit tons of money on my yard with one of my guys who's a client of ours, but he's also a good friend of ours. And I, I knew I was going to hire him, but he showed up to my house. He's been trained in my process, which was funny because he's using it mm -hmm. on me. Yeah. And, um, but it's not, it's not one of these things that you're using to manipulate. You're just truly trying to understand. Can I even help you? Like, what is really behind this? Like, why do you want to do the yard, Tom? And it was funny. I said, Matt, I've never had a yard I've been proud of. And I said, what I do for a living is I'm on this phone, I'm doing video, I'm broadcasting to the world. And every time I'm outside, I have to hide my yard because I haven't invested in my yard. And I'm tired of having to sit at one area of my front porch with this stone wall behind me so nobody sees how shitty my yard looks right now. Mm -hmm. And it's embarrassment. So my motive was I wanted something I was really proud of. And, I was, and the pain was I'm embarrassed. Um, another woman, uh, couldn't have, uh, one of our clients sold a project to her. It was a landscape thing. They played tennis every Thursday or something, her and her friends. And her motive was we can't come to my house because I'm, I'm embarrassed of my house. So I always make an excuse why we can't do my house that week. Cause after tennis, they'd go to somebody's house and have coffee or whatever they did. Okay. So the, and the motive is rarely the thing you think it is. And that's Absolutely. why, and, and I want to say this, cause you mentioned, you know, scripts and things like that. This is not a script based thing. Yeah. There are things that we call word tracks, like, Hey, what's your favorite word track to transition to budget or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. Or what's your favorite word track to get the motive. One of mine is, Hey, Breck, you're going to pay somebody to paint the house on the last day of the job. You're going to hand them a check. They're going to hop in their van and drive away. How are you going to know you hired the right guy? Shut your mouth.
and and then dig on that. Um, don't mm-hmm. pounce. And so, and that just comes with reps. It comes with being just a better communicator. And the more you learn to communicate and connect with human beings, uh, the checkbooks open up and you build one hell of a business that gives a great future to your team. And you have clients for life because they can't imagine ever anyone ever working with anyone ever again, other than you. That's a good reminder. I haven't heard it put that way. Peel versus pounce has a good ring to it. It's going to stick with me, but you're absolutely right. Everybody's looking for that opportunity to pounce and usually they jump the gun too soon. Well, what do we do? And, and I, I, I interview people on podcasts too, so I'm not ripping on it, but when I'm a host and somebody's answering a question, there's times that I'm in my head going, okay, where am I going to go next? Mm-hmm. Right. Like it's just a natural thing. Every human being does. That's why earlier, I, I don't know if we were recording or not. I told you, I don't script anything anymore because I yeah. really try to just be in the moment with my guests and that's with your wife. It's with your clients. It's with your team, like be where your feet are, like be in this moment. And the more you can do that with people, because most of us are thinking we're listening to the client go, you know, they did this and I'm not happy with this. And in your mind, you're like, well, that's easy to fix that. And we can do this and we can do this. And instead you need to be locked in to what's really important to them. Cause it's not the technical stuff. And contractors typically go technical in a sales process and they, I'm going to wow you with that's my knowledge of, them. yeah, my knowledge of spray tips or something, you know, it's like, yeah, they don't and, care about that. Then, but then you just sound like everybody else. Yeah, exactly. And this is how we're able to, I mean, when I, had my companies, I was selling at 30, 50, sometimes a hundred percent more than my competitors were consistently because of the connection piece. So that's why we have GCs that sub everything out and they're getting 60% gross profit on their subcontractors. When most of the normal GC world's going, I can't mark my, my subs up that much. Well, when you connect with another human being, price is like irrelevant, man. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, Tom, I got a couple of personal questions before we move into our fast five. All right. We uh, talked about sales and uh, the craftsman cycle. Um, One of the things that I'm always curious about is like how people uh, overcome mistakes uh, in the construction industry, because I don't think mistakes are are dealt with very well in construction. But what was like some of your or maybe pick one, your top fail or mistake while running your previous construction company? How did you overcome it? in a positive way. I was Bill's house. He was a colorblind lawyer. I charged him $28,000. It was my first year of business. I charged him 28 grand to paint his house. The job cost me $45,000 to do it, which means if you follow my 50% rule, I should have charged at least 90,000 to do the job. Okay. Um, it took, he GC'd his own house, took over a year to do it. He called me on Christmas morning. He yelled at me about the stain color of his uh, staircase. And what's worse than that is on Christmas morning is I actually answered the phone um, and let him yell at me at seven o'clock on Christmas morning when my oldest son was like two at the time. And, um, and so the mistake was hitting me square in the face. You know, I did everything you could do wrong. And um, the way I dealt with it is I just said, let's just get through it. Right. I think it's Robert Frost. that says the easiest way out is through. And mm-hmm. so when you make a mistake, um, man, just run into the punch, you know, own it. Like you screw up the colors on something or you mess up the scope or you don't communicate something. Um, people are tired of bullshit. 
you know, they're tired of being lied to. They're tired, you know, and I think pe- the respect goes through the roof when you just own your mistake and go, hey, I, I know this isn't going the way you want it to go. And I totally dropped the ball, but I'm going to make this right. And just that's just get through it like that. That's mm-hmm. how we've always approached mistakes, regardless of what the mistake is. How about maybe I'll elaborate on that question. How, how do you deal with mistakes when a team member makes it? Because, I mean, we talked about earlier in the podcast mm-hmm. uh, how, like, you know, if you're that individual owner operator, maybe you, you got the bag. Oh, sure, you're going to own it. But when that that third or fourth or fifth man makes the mistake. Yeah, well, I think how do you want to be treated when you make a mistake? You know, you don't want to be treated like crap. And I, I think a lot of owners screw up and they mess their culture up and they drive people out of their company because it doesn't, you know, hey, Billy, you made a mistake here. It wasn't done right, blah, blah, blah. I get it. I've made plenty of mistakes. Can we just sit down for 15 minutes and kind of debrief this thing and figure out, you know, where we went wrong? Or it could be a simple question of, hey, if you were to do this project over again, what would you do differently? And if that person is a person of good character and things like that, they're going to, they're going to go, yeah, I, I'm kind of messed this up and blah, blah, blah. Now I get it. If you got somebody who makes the same mistake over and over and over and over again, they got to go at some point, right? Cause that's a character issue. They're not really taking it serious, but if you hire for character and they make a mistake, you got to go into it knowing they're going to make mistakes. And so it shouldn't surprise you, but then you, it's, it's marketing, it's training. And it's a mindset shift. It's just going, I'm playing the long game here with this person. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had, pe- I had people that work for me that started out, made every mistake in the book. And we would joke about it down the road because it was like, hey, remember when you cost us like, I mean, my cousin and I worked for my uncle. We had to caulk this coffered ceiling that was like 20 feet up in the air. We'd never caulked before. And he never trained us how to caulk. He goes, caulk the ceiling. We just threw beads of thick caulk up there and didn't even wipe it. And it's like hanging down the ceiling. <laughs> we were teenagers, right? And uh, if, if you were to see, I mean, I remember a time I showed up I used to play in a band and gig six nights a week and stuff. I played drums and this and that. And I was out to like four in the morning gigging and having some beers and stuff like that. I was just out of the Marine Corps. I was young and, and uh, I showed up to the job site. It was a new construction job site. I was the crew leader. I walked in, I said to the crew, I'm still drunk. I'm sl- I'm laying down for a bit. I'll see you guys in a couple hours. I literally laid on top of a kitchen counter, rolled up in a drop cloth and slept for two hours. So the guy that's screwing the pooch in your company right now might have, there might be a diamond in there somewhere. So don't, don't drive them away. You know, um, you know, and I'm not saying what I did was right. I'm just saying like, I think, you know, that's why I hire for character. Like I always wanted to be a winner. I just didn't know where it was going to land for me. And, absolutely. Um, but yeah, I mean, we all make, it's like kids in some way. And I'm not saying treat you guys like kids, but your kids make mistakes you know, and they learn tough lessons. And I think when you, you know, I, I didn't say this before, but part of the people game, I think is, I think one of the greatest qualities of a leader is that your people feel safe. And I don't mean mm. like the, the, the woke safe spaces thing. Yeah. I'm talking like um, they can make a mistake and they're not in the doghouse. They forever, mm. they can, um, they can come to you with a problem and have a tough discussion or whatever it is where they, they feel they can go for it. And if they make the wrong choice, you know, at least you, they know you had their back and we'll all learn from it. So I just think, um, you know, all those things kind of send a message about the type of company you are. And, 
the more people feel safe in your company, the more they're, wanna, they're gonna wanna grow and get better and, and pay more attention. Absolutely. And that's what true leadership is, is embracing those mistakes and helping people work through them. That's how you learn the quickest way. It's Make hard. Mistakes. I don't want people to think like it's easy. It's just like, no, no, it's tough, especially when you're like, you know, my God, you know, we're, they owe us 12 grand on this job and we just made a $7,000 mistake, you know, or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like I get that it's tough, but um, you have to play the long game. I think that's the, uh, the motto of this entire episode play the long game, which is a damn good motto. There you go. Tom, before we uh, wrap up our episodes, we end with our fast five, five questions to be answered in a sentence or less. You ready? I'm ready. All right. I'm what's scared, the by the way, because I don't know what's coming, man. This is, uh, <laughs> this is good. This is good. All right. What do you got? The best thing that you've ever learned from a book. It's, it's funny. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm debating whether I want to open this can of worms, but I'm going to open it. Um, a lot of people don't know this, but I, I used to, and I know what, I'm sorry, this is going to be a run on sentence. Um, <laughs> I would say that God is in the reunion business. I'll just leave it at that. God's God is in the, in the business of, of reunions, you know, of, uh, relationships and people and things like that. Um, and that's from a passage in Luke where there's a dead guy being carried out and Jesus walks up to the coffin and it says he gives him back to his mother. And I don't know what it is, but that one line in the Bible, I haven't read the Bible in years, by the way. Um, but that has always stuck with me that that's, to me, that's who God is. He, he wants reunions. I love that. Number two, Tom, what do you want to be remembered for? Being kind. I love that. This is a great tee up for number three. What's the nicest thing someone has ever done for you? Wow. God, there's so many things, man. There's so many things. I, I think um, I'll just go with the most recent one. My fiance, we've been together going on four years um, early in our relationship. There was a, there was an incident that I was a real knucklehead and it involved uh, whiskey <laughs> and she gave me a second chance. So um, I was just an asshole. You know, I mean, to, if you ever saw Unforgiven with Clint Eastwood, like he was sober and then he drank whiskey and killed everybody in town. That's kind of, so I haven't touched whiskey since. And, um, but yeah, she, I had a lot of insecurities about over a couple things and I was a total dick and she gave me a second chance and now we're, we're, we're good. So. I like it. Number four, your one message to the next generation would be be the example. Like you want, you want shit to change. You got to be the example. Like don't let yourself off the hook, honor the commitments that you make to yourself. Does nobody cares how you feel success. Doesn't care what you think or how you feel. It takes what it takes. So be the example um, and get your whiny ass feelings out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And so we asked this last question on every uh ending of our podcast uh bread to build bread not the kind that you eat yep what does bread to build mean to you tom we all want to build something whether it's a physical structure a business our life a relationship whatever and i think uh it communicates to me that it's a process you know you whatever you're building is going to be a process it's not a one-time event and 
you know, if you have a today, if there's an event today that knocks you in the teeth, don't define your whole body of work around that one event because it's part of the process. Mm-hmm. That's what it that's, that's what it means to me. So embrace the journey. I like that. Tom, uh, thanks so much for joining the Bread to Build podcast. Before we let you off the hook, uh, where can people find and connect with you? Thecontractorfight.com is the best way. You go there and you get to our podcast, YouTube channel, all that. Just type it into Google and, uh, and you'll be there. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, uh, Tom, for joining us on the, uh, the Bread to Build podcast. I appreciate Guys. you having me, Breck. It's good stuff, yeah, thank man. You, Tom. Great Guys, job. Thanks, thanks for listening to another episode of the Bread to Build podcast. If you like the show, you want to show us some support. All we ask is you give us a subscribe. Give us a little shout out on social media. I appreciate all of you guys that have been doing that. Thanks for tuning in. You can find me on all platforms at Hammer. Feel free to connect with me personally at Brett Gillen. We'll see you guys next time on the Bread to Build podcast. <laughs>